0: Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. It's great to see all of you today. I was away last week and so it's always good to get back and, and see you. It's an encouragement to me personally to see you here. It's also an encouragement as a pastor to see you here. And great to have all of you uh, who are joining us online, LifeSource family, as well as others who might uh, be considered, you might consider yourself a guest with us today. Well, so I need you to answer a question today. How many of you during this time when everything's been, you know, more or less shut down, did some, you made a visit to a a home improvement, or a Home Depot, or Lowe's, or a hardware store to do something at home. How many of you? Look at it, see, hands everywhere, yes, okay. Uh, that seems to be when people had time and they decided to do things at home. The home improvement industry, but especially the do-it-yourself aspect, right? because that's what Home Depot's about, and Lowe's is about, and the hardware store's about, right? So, do-it-yourself mentality, and the do-it-yourself mentality in our, in our nation, and really in the whole world, but in our nation it's just been booming. It's, just, it's really, really grown. In fact, uh, I think it was last year or the year before, over $400 billion spent in the United States on do-it-yourself home improvement projects, and they estimate over the next couple, next, next three to four years here That uh, we will spend as much on this do-it-yourself home improvement stuff as we spend on our military in our country. That's a lot, isn't it? How many of you say, I really like doing it myself? Yeah, okay, a bunch of us. Some of the rest of us think like, yeah, no way, right? (laughs) For good reason, maybe. But... um, Do-it-yourself is is really pretty cool. It's fun. You learn things, you know, and and you have some sense sense of maybe pride. You accomplish something. Uh, Maybe sometimes you had to have somebody come in and rescue you, and you got some good fellowship in the process. Charlie's done that kind of thing for me with my car, the do-it-yourself stuff. Um, And so nothing wrong with that. But what about do-it-yourself Christianity? How does that work? I think we're going to see that it is a, really, it is a recipe for disaster. So let's, let's open our Bibles today and see what Jesus has to say about this. In uh, Matthew chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible with you today, there's uh, one under the chairs there. Uh, page 1118 is where we are going to be. This is at the end of what's called the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus... Um, has been talking about how we're supposed to live. What is it? The, the people who are part of God's kingdom, uh, you know, it, spiritually, and then who will be a part of his kingdom when he establishes on earth. How are we supposed to live? What, what are our values, our priorities, and how do we approach issues? And so he's been talking about that in chapters five, six, and seven. And he gets down to the end of the chapter. This is where we're going to be today. We've already looked a couple weeks ago, two, or three weeks ago, at the story about what are you building your life on? You know, the foundation, you're building on the solid rock of relationship with Jesus Christ and and the truths of his word, so that when the storms of life come, you make it, okay? So that is at the very end of this chapter. We're gonna look at the portion right before that. So let's look there in verses 21 through 23. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, You who practice lawlessness. That's kind of a tough passage, isn't it? Man, you know, Jesus, I never knew you. Depart from me. You're a worker of lawlessness. Okay. And I think that some people, I I, I don't know how many people actually be surprised at this when they experience it, but it's still going to be a shock either way. So let's just have some quick observations here about this passage. And the first one we see is this, that, that Jesus is the one who decides who makes it to heaven and who doesn't, right? The Lord decides. And so if, if we want to make it to heaven, we have to say, what does the Lord expect? What are his expectations? What does what he set up for the conditions? Because the point is, is we don't get to set the terms. He does. The Lord is the one who decides who makes it to heaven and who doesn't. Second thing is you don't get into heaven by saying the right thing, but by doing the right thing. Now, we're going to talk about this a minute because if you understand your, your Bible doctrine and the doctrine of salvation, you might go, hey, hey, wait, wait a minute. Do, what do you mean do the right thing, right? So we're going to talk about that, but before I do, just understand. If you notice in verse 21, what do they say? Lord, Lord. Verse 22, Lord, Lord. And if you remember when we, we looked at the, uh, um, the passage a few weeks ago about this, what are you building your life upon, what kind of a foundation, we start off there where Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but not do the things that I say? And so that's kind of the same idea here, right? They're saying Lord, Lord, uh, but uh, they aren't doing Lord, Lord, and so you don't get into heaven by saying the right things, but by doing the right things. By the way, I think it is very easy for us as Christians that we aren't careful to know how to say the right things. Right, we learn what the right things are to say. But our lives need to match it as well, okay? So the third thing we see here is that many will try to get into heaven by doing their own thing. But it won't work, right? Well, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this for you? And we did this in your name and we did that in your name? And, and you look here and you say, wow, prophesying, deem, casting out demons, wonders, were those real, were they not real? I don't think it really matters. Uh, there's things there that maybe we don't know the answers to, but Jesus is very clear that you can do how, do, how do I say it, you know, you can do, if you do your own thing, it's not gonna be what he's looking for. Doesn't matter how good it looks. You know, if if you think about that, if you had your, your, those of you who have had children and the rest of you have been children, right? Is that safe to say? (laughs) All right. And so you you tell your child, listen, you absolutely have to clean your room today. You have to. In fact, you don't come out for lunch if your room isn't clean, right? I mean, you got to clean your room. But see, I was a terrible dad when I, no lunch until you clean your room, Uh, and so let's say that what they did, and they, they decided they vacuumed the hallway and then put away the dishes. And so they go to make a sandwich. What does dad say? Did you clean your room? Well, no, but I did this and I did this. I told you you had to do up. Well. Clean your room, okay? And so this is the idea. What we see here is the Lord has something that he's looking for and people do their own thing instead of what the Lord is wanting them to do, okay? So we'll, we'll dig into that a little bit more. And then finally this, that doing the Father's will is about having the kind of relationship with Jesus that changes how you live your life. Because this is what he says, look in verse 23. And I will declare to you what I never Knew you You practice lawlessness. You're doing different things than I would have had you do. You aren't living. And so uh, this idea of um, doing the Father's will, which is what he says in verse 21, you must do the will of my Father in heaven. The Father's will is about having the kind of relationship with Jesus that changes how you live your life. And um, in John chapter 17, Jesus uh, Refers this idea of this knowing and this relationship when he said, and this is eternal life. He's talking to God the Father. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So this idea of knowing, it's about a relationship, isn't it? We know him, he knows us, because we came into a saving relationship with him. And we are going to talk more about that in just a little bit. But so, understand that when we get saved, that moment when we receive Christ as save, and I say the word save, you know, if those of you here probably know what I'm talking about, those of you watching may or may not, it might sound like kind of a strange term to you, but what we're talking about is the fact that we have all sinned against a holy God, and there's a penalty that needs to be paid for that, and, and if we die, without addressing that issue, we will be paying that penalty. And when we talk about being saved, we're talking about the fact that we have come, turned to Christ, and received Christ as Savior. You know, He died for our sins and rose again. And we accept that payment for our sins, so we don't have to pay it. So we have been what? Saved from the penalty of our sins. That's what that word means when I say saved. We've entered into a relationship with Christ. And, and that relationship, what, what happens is that deep down inside, something changes. Because deep d- down inside, uh, let me back up. You think about this idea of knowing someone and having it change your life. You know, some of you probably met someone as you were growing up who became your best friend. I mean, they were the best of the best friends. And you did everything to get, and it changed your life. It changed how you lived your life, the things that you did. If those of you who are married, right, you met someone who you fell in love with, and, and that has changed how you live your life. Well, th- this is similar in a sense, except that those relationships are outside in, right? The friendship changed the relationship, but it's from the outside in. That, that marriage changed the relationship, but it's, it's, it's coming from the outside in. But when we enter a relationship with Jesus, he moves inside. And the old sinful nature that dominated our lives is put to death with Jesus. And he brings new nature. We are new creatures, new creations deep down inside. And so he begins to change us. And that's gonna change how we live our lives. Now, that's the really good news. The bad news, the hard news is that you and I are such a mess that that's a major project he has undertaken, (laughs) right? The way we approach life and our thinking has not been godly and Christian. Our own wisdom is not godly wisdom. Our experiences have, don't reinforce the truths of God, our, 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 you know, the, the desires that we've had over the years. And so it's, it's an ongoing process that has to happen. But the point is, is, if you come to know Jesus the way God is talking about, the way it is his will for you to know him, it produces change in your life. And this would not describe you Okay, so let's look at this and and talk about this a little bit because how does Jesus describe them? Verse 23, then I will declare them first, I never knew you, you never entered into that relationship with me. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. He's talking about how they live their lives. Now, this word um, lawless is translated here is often translated uh, in other passages and certainly in other translations as iniquity. You may have heard that word. Iniquity, So lawlessness, iniquity. What does that mean? Well, we go back to the Old Testament and chase down the word that's used for this, and it communicates this idea of contrariness. Anybody ever have a child who was contrary? Yeah? yeah who, which of you were that child? <laughs> Some of you, right? Whatever, you know. Hey, wait a minute, that was my kid over there. I said, yeah, well, I guess you're right. I remember that now. Uh, So yes, as a kind of, here's what the the parent wants. Here's what was expected, but the child is what? No, I'm going to do something different, okay? Contrary, contrariness. And so this idea of being contrary to accepted standards or practice. All right, here's, here's what the Lord is expecting. This is what he says. And we say, well, yeah, no, I think I'll do this instead. And is it possible for this on the face of it to be something good? Yeah. Well, that's exactly what we see in the description, isn't it? We did all this good stuff in your name. No, you were contrary, you were doing your own thing. You weren't doing my thing. And then this, uh, in the New Testament, the word is uh, anomia coming from the word anamas. Now, it's a, what's, you're talking about Greek words, but namas means law. And then we put the prefix a in front of it, which means what? No, or not, or not, okay? And English, same way, law, the word law, and less means without, okay? So this description that Jesus is talking about here is not about the fact that, that somebody, you have broken this commandment, although we've broken commandments. It's not about these, this particular sin and this particular, you're committing these sins. No, it's about the fact that you have set aside what I have told you and what I want from you and chosen to do something else instead. Can you see that? It might be something good. Like when I talked about with the child who does something different than the parent has told them to do. And so this lawlessness or iniquity, this idea of setting up our own standards. Paul talks about this with some highly religious people in Romans chapter 10 when he says this, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. You see that? We're gonna establish our own righteousness. Here's what God says. Here's how we are righteous before God. Well, no, we're gonna establish our own righteousness. That is iniquity. That is lawlessness. And so what Jesus says here is that if you don't have this relationship with me, You've, you've already set aside the very first thing. You are doing your own thing. You are doing lawlessness. You are guilty of iniquity. Okay? And um, so what's he say? Depart from me. Right? So this is a big deal. This is, and so this is where I'm getting this idea of this lawlessness, this iniquity, about it's a a do-it-yourself approach to Christianity. Can you see that? You know, here's God's approach to Christianity, what he says in his word and, and what he wants, and, and you know people say, well, no, you're not. yeah, okay, yeah, but no, I'm gonna do this. And they have a do-it-yourself approach to a relationship with God. Do-it-yourself approach to how am I going to make it to heaven, okay? Bible, Bible, the Bible, Bible, yeah. The Bible is very clear about how we enter into a relationship with Christ. How we come to know him and how he comes to know us. And that is when we acknowledge that we have sinned before a holy God. We have not lived his way. We've done our own things. Sometimes we have actively disobeyed the things he said. Sometimes we've just done a do-it-yourself thing. Either way, we stand guilty before God. God loved us so much. He doesn't want us to suffer the penalty, the eternal penalty for that in hell. So he sends his son Jesus into the world who lives a perfect sinless life, dies on the cross, and, and as he hangs on the cross, God the Father puts the penalty for my sin, penalty for your sins, the penalty for the sins of the whole world. Jesus dies paying that penalty. Three days later rises from the dead, and then God says to us that if we will humbly honestly before him, acknowledge that, yes, we have sinned against you. We know that we have messed up. We cannot go back and fix it. We are guilty before you. But I believe that Jesus is who you say is. He's who the Bible says he is. He's God in in human form. And he died for my sins and rose again. And so I am going to turn away from all my efforts to try to fix this, which cannot fix it. And I'm going to turn to you. I'm, I'm going to trust only in Jesus to be my Savior, to accept what he did for me when he paid the penalty, right? And the Bible says, that's what I talk about, where Jesus himself moves in. Sins are forgiven, we receive eternal life, and he begins this, working this new life on us from the inside out. All right, so that's what the Bible says, Jesus is Lord, so we, we do what he says. and it's, it's, It produces a change in our lives, so we're trying to live the Christian life the way that God says we ought to live it in his word. Uh, So I asked on Facebook this week, the end of the week, um, let me read the question to you. I asked this question. I said, besides personally receiving Christ as Savior, what are some things people are counting on to get them into heaven when life ends? All right. Got some really great responses. Uh, Some responses are people probably talking about other people. They know some people were actually sharing what they really believe for themselves. But so here's, here's the kind of responses about um, you know, how to get to heaven. I'm a good person. Okay, That's, that's probably the most you know, typical kind of answer. Well, I'm a good person. I'm, I'll go to heaven. I've earned it. I've done enough good things to get into heaven. I've earned it. Third, uh, my good outweighs my bad, right? If you could put them on scales, you'd find that my good outweighs my bad. So I'm basically a good person. All those things keep going back to being what? A good person, I've earned it. Lord, Lord, didn't I do all these things? Religious practices and rituals like church attendance, baptism, confession, sacraments, and on and on it goes. And then there's the, well, the God I believe in would never send anyone to hell. Or similar, I think everyone goes to heaven. Um, here we go. I've tried to do the kinds of things God wants us to do, and I hope it's good enough to get me there. So I'm trying. Other, here's, other people in heaven who are already there can sort of put in a good word for me, and hopefully that will influence the Lord. Now, I mean, you know, so it might seem kind of funny to us, but you think about it, that's the way life works, isn't it? If someone can put in a good word for you, right, it can make a big difference. OK, so that's not as far out as we might think when people are trying to figure this out. OK, giving money to the church and to the poor, trying to live by the Ten Commandments, or I don't believe in the afterlife, therefore it doesn't exist. Or I believe in reincarnation. So if I don't get it right this time around, hopefully I'll do better in my next life. Right? I think I'm all set because my whole family is Christian and I've always been Christian too. So all these things that are not about receiving Christ as Savior. So what are these? How would we describe these? Do it yourself, Christianity. You know, I'm going to be all right with God because of these things that I can do myself. Well, what does the Bible say about that? We have this choice to to do what it says to receive Christ as Savior or to do it some other way, we think. All right. Well, consider what the scripture says Uh, in John 14, 6. As Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. Pretty clear, right? All those other things aren't about coming through Jesus. But Jesus said, all those other things don't work. Okay? Uh, in Acts chapter 4.12 it says, nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. We have to come to Jesus to be saved. There is no do-it-yourself path. To, to have a relationship with Christ that, that provides forgiveness of sins and eternal life. First Timothy, it says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. There's no religion that can be your mediator. There's no n- human being, a priest or anybody who can be your mediator. You have to go to Jesus. It's about coming into that relationship that we read about, right? I didn't know you. We didn't have a relationship. You've done your own thing. Okay, I never knew you. Now, so where does this leave people who are, have a, a do-it-yourself Christianity? By the way, you know, I don't think we wanna have this big critical attitude about people who are doing it their own thing because very often they don't know better, right? I mean, I think between them and God, sometimes there's a sense they know better, but the idea is they don't know the best way, and they're trying to figure it out, okay? But where does it leave people who are in this do-it-yourself Christianity? John chapter three, Jesus talking about himself, he says this, he who believes in him, him, the son of God, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned, what's the next word? Already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So we are already condemned. And so when we do the do it yourself thing, it doesn't change that fact. We're already condemned. The only thing that uncondemns us is when we turn to Jesus and receive Him as Savior. In John chapter 8, later on, he said, Jesus says, Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am He, you will die in your sins, and dying in your sins means you are still on the hook for them. You are still guilty before God. You're one of these people that Jesus would say, I never knew you, you did your own thing. You did a do-it-yourself approach, and that doesn't work. It's not acceptable. So, now, if you're watching today, or you're here listening, and you're thinking, wow, if that's right, that means that I am, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble with God. My sins aren't forgiven. I'm going to have to pay for my sins in eternity. Uh, But let me just say to you that, that there's tremendous hope because every one of us here today, those of us, most of us probably here today who have received Christ as Savior, we've been forgiven, He's moved in, He's working on us. Every one of us started off with do it yourself. Christianity. We all did. And the reality is, and we're going to talk about this, the reality is that those of us who are Christians, we still struggle with do-it-yourself Christianity. We still have a tendency to do that. So if, if you're saying, wow, I'm in trouble, well, yeah, we all were. But the idea is, again, understand that Jesus died for your sins, rose again. You can say, no, no more of this do-it-yourself stuff. I'm going to turn to to Jesus and receive him as my savior. That's what I'm going to do. And when you do that, that is a once in a lifetime decision that changes you forever and changes your eternal destiny and begins to change your life now in so many, many good ways. And so all you need to do is to just get real honest with God and say, God, that's me. God, that's me. I'm that describes me, but I, I, I'm choosing now instead to receive Jesus and believe in him. I don't know everything that means, but what I know, I'm accepting. Okay? So let me encourage you to do that. Now, it's easy for us as Christians to say, you know, again, okay, what? You know, we're all set, right? Because we received Jesus as Savior. We're good to go. And so this do-it-yourself Christianity doesn't apply to us anymore. Well, in the sense of which us, if we know the Lord and he knows us, we will not be told to depart. But can a Christian live from time to time and sometimes longer periods of time like they aren't a Christian? Can a Christian do that? Absolutely. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter four talks about this and he says, okay, he's talking to Christians and he says, it's time to stop living like non-Christians. You need to look at your life and the ways you're living like someone who's not a Christian needs to change. So yes, we can be this guilty, I guess I would say, of this uh, do-it-yourself Christianity. So let's talk about what this looks like in our lives as Christians. Do-it-yourself Christianity for Christians. And I'm I'm not gonna tell you how to do this. i want to tell you the problem with doing it. First thing is this, it rejects Christ in our lives. What do you mean it rejects Christ? Well, it does, it says, Christ, Lord, we don't need you. I know you say this, but, you know, I'm not going with that. I'm going with this. So I don't need you here. And I really don't want you here. I want to do this. And uh, it's like saying to the Lord, Lord, you're not really necessary for my life. I'll, I'll let you know when I need you. I mean, don't those things sound horrendous? It's about rejecting Christ. But it is. Be honest about it. If here's how the Lord is telling us to live and we're saying, and and by the way, this isn't an all or nothing. We might be, you know, here's how the Lord tells us to live, but this part here is what I'm saying. Yeah, I don't think so. I'm gonna, and we don't even always consciously think that. We just (laughs) make the change. So it rejects Christ in our lives. Second thing is it does, it leads others to reject Christ. And this is a huge problem. Because here's the deal. If you and I are living like lukewarm Christians, the kind that, that the Lord says, I want, I want to figure out how to vomit you out. Eh, eh. If we're living like that, and someone is looking and saying, I need an answer in life about God, and they look at your life, they're going to go, why would I want that? And here's the problem. So they reject this. But what do they think they have rejected? They think they have rejected real Christianity because they think that's what it is by looking at your life where this has really happened in our, I think in this last couple generations here, is that our children have grown up in homes where parents have been largely doing a do-it-yourself approach to Christianity. We have the right doctrines and the right statements, and we don't do the really bad stuff, but overall in life, we're doing our own thing. And our kids grow up in that, and whether conscious or not, they see this is hypocrisy, this is not Christianity. I don't want any part of this. And then they too think I have done what? They have Rejected Christianity, and so you know they aren't interested in it. Boy, you lose a whole generation like that in a hurry. The third thing it does is it grieves the heart of Christ. Okay, I mean Jesus you know, when he was dealing with these self-righteous religious leaders who were really doing you know do-it-yourself approach to their relationship with God, uh, in Mark chapter three it describes this. He says and when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved. By the hardness of their hearts. Because here's what's happened to you as a Christian. Here's what God says, right? And, and he wants you to, to pursue this relationship with him and live for him. And he, here's how I want you to do this. And you go, mm, no, I think I'll do this. I, I'm going to try to do it my own way. I'll do it yourself. <sighs> yeah, it's just. <laughs> here's what it does. The Holy Spirit is faithful to tell you that's not right. The Holy Spirit will. He will work in your life and say, this isn't right. This needs to change. And if you continue to push back in a way, what happens to your heart? Your heart starts to get hard to the Holy Spirit of God. Scary place to be. All right? So the hardness of the heart, it grieves the heart of Christ. In Ephesians chapter 4, we're told not to grieve the Holy Spirit of God, right? Don't grieve him. So we're not doing that. Okay, so it grieves the heart of Christ. The fourth thing is this, it brings eternal loss at the judgment seat of Christ. Yes, this is for Christians. The great white throne judgment is described in the end of the book of Revelation is when those who have never received Christ will stand before God in judgment, be shown to be sinners, be shown to have never come into a saving relationship with Christ and to be lost for all eternity because of it. Christians will stand at a different judgment. We will stand at what's called the judgment seat of Christ where our lives will be evaluated. Here's how you lived your life. Let's look at this, let's let's talk about it. And, And what did you do that was what I wanted you to do and that will last for eternity? What did you do that was what you wanted to do and will be lost for all eternity? And so scripture describes it like this. It says, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. Let's continue, Anthony. If anyone's work which is built on it endures, he will receive reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer. What's the word? Loss, suffer. Wait, I thought we were in heaven. We are in heaven, but at the judgment seat of Christ, when we're looking at our lives, there will be things that we will suffer this sense of loss, like I, I, can't, I, I can't go back and fix this. I can't go back and reclaim this. You suffer loss, and you're going to be saved. Good news, he says, barely. <laughs> if it about works, you wouldn't be. We already know that. All right, so let's go to the, uh, the next passage here, 2 Corinthians. He says, therefore, because these things are true, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. That's what we need to do. I don't want to be my do-it-yourself Christianity. I want to please God by doing this his way. Let's continue. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. This is his evaluation we're talking about. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Who is this judgment for? Christians are unsaved. For Christians. He says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, take this seriously. Live for Christ. So think about this. Um, If you will say, well, okay, I know God says, but I'm going to do it myself here. Do it my own way and you think, well, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, judgment seat of Christ, I'm I'm going to heaven. I'm going to heaven, so it'll be okay. There's two things that you aren't understanding. The first one is this, that when you stand at the judgment seat of Christ, and if you have that attitude or, or live by that attitude, I think you will find yourself terrified before a holy God whom you so lightly set aside. forgiven, yes. Know his grace, yes. Eternal life instead of hell, yes. But I cannot believe how I did that in my life and didn't take this seriously. There's a terror, there's something that will be there that will not be positive. And it will matter to you more than anything else. And the one thing you will wish is that you had done things differently. And we're all going to have some of that in our lives, aren't we? But let's don't have a whole pattern of life be that way. The second thing you need to understand is this. If you can actually have an attitude that says, well, yeah, I know God says, but I'm going to do my own thing here anyway. Because I'm going to heaven. It's not going to matter. I'm, I'm all set. If you can actually have that attitude and not be bothered by it, maybe, just maybe, you will be one of those who will hear, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Because remember, what did we say from this passage? That doing the Father's will, go ahead and go to that, Anthony, if you would, Doing the Father's will is about having the kind of relationship with Jesus that changes how you live your life. And so if you can just blow it off and not care, I think you ought to say, say, wait a minute. Do I really know the Lord? Have I really come to him? Right? I know for me when I, was, you know, I started attending a church to preach the gospel when I was 18 years old and I had religious beliefs already and I, I kind of said, well, yeah, that's cool. You know, and I just kind of got involved and went along. And finally one day hit me, wait a minute. <laughs> I can't just kind of add this, keep doing my own thing here. I got to give this up and turn to the Lord. And so if you have just added this and you're still doing your own thing, maybe you don't know the Lord. And the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Ask God, God, where am I at with this? And then respond in whatever way you may need to. All right. So how would you know if you are living a do-it-yourself Christianity instead of the way the Lord tends? Well, First of all, if you'll just be honest and open before God and ask Him, He'll begin to see things and show you. But let me just talk to you about a few things here that are things that ought to mark the life of a Christian who is doing the Lord's will as opposed to your own thing. Okay, So let's just look at the list here. Purposefully and consistently growing in your relationship with Christ by spending time with Him in the Word and in prayer. So that's something that as Christians we ought to take seriously, right? And we ought to be doing. But... If you're not doing that, or if you're doing something different, you you do it yourself. You see the difference? So ask yourself, does that describe me? Now, before I go any farther, let me say to you that I think every one of these things we're going to look at, anybody who is sincere in their Christian life is gonna go, oh yeah, I'm really not, yeah, I need to make some adjustments and changes, okay? That's fine. But isn't that the way we ought to live our lives? Lord, show me today. Where am I missing it? I don't want to be this do-it-yourself Christian. I want to do it your way and honor you. Be doing your will. All right, so another thing. Making daily decisions to live by what the Lord is showing you in the word and in prayer or not or something else. Okay, next one next one there. Being actively engaged with, committed to, supportive of, and serving in the church that Jesus loved and died for. Okay. That is what we ought to be doing. Or are we doing our own thing? Well, yeah, I kind of know that, but you know what? I'm going to do this instead. All right. Continue. On purpose, connecting with other Christians for mutual support. Helping and encouraging each other to live for Christ. So we are engaging with other Christians to, to be the kind of Christians and to help them be the kind of Christians. And well, you know, that's, that's uncomfortable for me. So I'm doing something different or I'm not doing it. It's a do it yourself approach to Christianity. You don't want to be that way. Continue, sharing your faith openly, often and purposely with people who need a relationship with the Lord. You know, it, boy, man, this challenges me. You know, that I, I, I really need to be saying, God, how do I do this in my life? What does this look like? You know, how do I be faithful to you in this? Instead of just going, well, yeah, I know, but I'm going to. right? Viewing your money and possessions as resources the Lord has entrusted to you for his kingdom, giving it and using it as he leads. All right. So, you know, uh, this is another one where Christians say, "Well, yeah, I, I know what the Bible says about this, you know, but, but I, I don't see it that way, or I'm not comfortable with it. I'm not. I'm going to do this instead. All right, making sure the Lord comes first in the life of your family, first in your relationships with spouse and children. Not that your family comes first, but that the Lord comes first in your family. See, not that you know these relationships come first, but the Lord comes first in every relationship. And so we could go on and on. We fill in the, you could fill in the blank with your own issues and areas. But can I challenge you today as Christians, let's continually say, wait a minute, Lord, where am I, this, I say guilty of, of do-it-yourself approach to Christianity. Lord, show me this. And, and we keep coming back. And we keep coming back. And we keep working at it and then we get deceived or we deceive ourselves and we find ourselves out here. Wait a minute. What am I doing? Keep coming back. Keep coming back. And we keep growing. Right? And we keep working to not be guilty of iniquity. Lawlessness. Doing our own thing. From the Lord's perspective, on his terms, there is nothing acceptable about do-it-yourself Christianity. It won't be acceptable for the person who never receives Christ, and it won't be acceptable for us when we stand at the judgment seat of Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you challenge us in this way. Lord, help us to see that, and we didn't talk about it today, but Lord, help us to see that Our do-it-yourself is always defective. It never accomplishes what we really hope that it will. It's only by doing things your way and being yielded to you and surrendered and letting you work in our lives that we begin to experience what we were made for and find that fulfillment and satisfaction as we honor you and glorify you. Help us to see that, Lord. Help us to see the ugliness of a do-it-yourself approach. I pray, Lord, for anybody who's here today and anybody who's watching, Lord, that if they have a do-it-yourself approach to a relationship with you, that they will give that up and they will turn and receive Jesus as Savior. I pray for that, Father. And uh, pray for us as Christians, Lord. Please keep calling us back. Keep stirring us. Keep challenging us to live your way and not to be do-it-yourself approach. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.